0: Hello and welcome to Some Context Please, a podcast from the team here at Foundry Creative School. This podcast sets out to draw a line between what our students are learning and what's really happening here in the creative industries. Of course, you don't even need to be a current Foundry student to enjoy this podcast. Everyone is welcome. My name is Adam Greve and I'm your host for this season on Interior Design. This is the fifth episode of the season and I'm again joined by two industry professionals, Matt Leach from Australian Design Radio and Nikki Davey, an Australian interior designer with a background in styling and decoration. Each episode, we look at things our students are currently being taught. This edition sees us discussing what many consider to be one of the more dry subjects in design, stakeholders. A term that comes up a lot and one that you have to be aware of, maybe even careful of. If you don't involve them enough in your process, they can sometimes make your life a little difficult. Stakeholders are people, groups or individuals who have a power to affect or be affected in some way by the projects you're involved with. Nikki and Matt certainly discuss who these people are and how we can identify them and prioritize them based on their level of influence. Matt and Nikki will also take some time to discuss accessibility, how and when to build that into your design. The more we talk about accessibility, the more we need to also contemplate livability. This is becoming very commonplace with more and more government regulation and guidelines coming into force. So let's jump in and have a listen. Hi Nikki, how are you? Hey Matt,
1: I'm well, thank you.
2: So this week we've been talking about a whole bunch of different things, but One thing that keeps on coming up and it's come up the last couple of weeks is this kind of idea of stakeholders. So I guess we better define what stakeholder, what a stakeholder actually is.
1: Yes, a stakeholder, um, a project stakeholder is basically anybody um, that has any interest whatsoever in the project Um, and they don't have to have an active involvement in the project you know, be somebody that's not sort of actively involved in creating the project or not even necessarily directly impacted by the project. It's just anybody who has any any interest in the project for whatever that reason may be.
2: So can you give me an example of, like you said, someone who has an interest in the project, but they not necessarily gonna be impacted by the project?
1: So it could be, for example, I mean, actually, I should sort of rephrase that. So it's people that are generally impacted by the project in some way. It's not always that that obvious to the people that are involved in the project who are also stakeholders. So, for example, it, it could be somebody, if you're doing a residential renovation and you're repainting um, the facade of the home, it could be somebody who lives all the way down the other end of the street. You know, they might have an interest in the paint colours or you know, what you're doing with the facade trip for the renovation because, you know, they have to drive past the project and look at it every day or walk past and look at it every day. It's in the vicinity of their neighbourhood.
2: Wow. So that makes it really difficult, doesn't it? I guess you have to kind of think about every single person that could possibly be affected.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of the time, yeah, there's all sorts of people um, who you don't really consider that um, come on board and do have an opinion about your project.
2: So, what's the process of working that out when you're doing a typical job?
1: Generally, local councils sort of have protocols in place. There's certain things that you have to get a planning permit for, and there's other things that you don't have to get a planning permit for. And that is normally um, because certain elements of a renovation or what you're doing, you know, might impact upon other residents or you know people that are sort of operating within the perimeters of the project. So often you can jump on your local council's website um, and you can check out the planning section of their website and um, they often have lots of information about things that you need to consider and what kind of things you need to consider when you're doing a renovation or a new project in, in their local area.
2: Okay, so you can go through that and you can kind of tell what who you should be consulting or bringing into, uh, I guess, the project in some way. What what happens... and You know, talking about that person who lives down the road, what happens if if they do have a problem with that?
1: So normally if it's something that's going to impact neighbours or stakeholders, it has to be approved through a planning process and you go through the local council to do that. Um, So normally when a planning permit is submitted Um, the neighbors and any stakeholders they have an opportunity to object to the planning permit so there normally is a, a period of time where people do have an opportunity to object to the planning permit and yeah i mean to find out about planning permits you can go onto local websites and normally if you have applied for a planning permit there's a period of time that you have to advertise outside the project property that that planning permit has gone in for approval
2: so I guess other stakeholders are I mean obviously the client is a stakeholder could you also include people who are potentially working on your side of things
1: yeah in, in your
2: agency or studio
1: yeah so st- a stakeholder as I said is anybody that has any kind of interest in the project so you're right the client is a stakeholder um you know the design team they're stakeholders Uh, The tradespeople, their stakeholders, um, anyone who is consulting on the project is considered to be a stakeholder. And it's also organisations can be stakeholders. So whoever is financing the project, if if it's a bank or if it's an investment group, they're considered to be a stakeholder as well.
2: Once you've worked out who the stakeholders are or could potentially be do you put them in priority of like who i mean do you have more some stakeholders who are more stakeholder than other stakeholders
1: yeah definitely i think you can't always foresee who all the stakeholders are as well but there's definitely some stakeholders who will have a much greater impact in your sort of toing and froing regarding the project so i mean the client is obviously almost always probably the most important stakeholder for you anyway but i mean if you're doing a residence like future tenants they're stakeholders um and it's pretty important to think about their requirements as well the builder that's always a really important stakeholder or any tradespeople that you're using the local council i'd say if they're if they need to be involved they don't always have to be if it's just a decoration project but the local council is always a pretty important stakeholder as well
2: once you've got this list of stakeholders and you kind of know who the most important ones are and and right down to the least important how what do you do with this knowledge that you now have
1: well i guess it's just important to understand who all the stakeholders holders are and um, how so that you can work out how you can respond best to all of their requirements so sometimes um your client might have you know, grand ideas that you're really on board with. Sometimes as a designer or a decorator, it is your responsibility to um, kind of navigate the client through all the other stakeholders that will affect their decision-making. It's probably more applicable to interior design projects. um, But, for example, if you were doing a residence, if you're working on a residential project, and they had requirements like, They could say to you, we've got this wall that's north facing and there's no windows in it and we really want to open it up. Um, So can we put some windows there to increase the natural light into our spaces? And they might think that's just a really straightforward thing for you to work out with a builder. But, you know, often if there's a wall with no windows in it, there's a reason for that. It might be that um, you've got a neighbouring property and by putting windows, in that wall you're overlooking some of their personal and private spaces which the council would have sort of uh, regulations around whether you can do that or you know you might you might you might have to say to them look we can pop win- we can put windows in um, but they have to be a certain height so that you can't directly overlook you know your neighbor's backyard because that's a breach on their privacy and that kind of information you can find on you know you'll find on your local council's website but yeah I guess you know clients aren't always you know aware of restrictions that stakeholders can have on projects
2: it sounds like a real minefield
1: yeah it can be but I guess you sort of start to understand like the more you work in the industry I think you start to understand what what to look for and you start to realize why things that are not obvious to the client might not be there like why why building restrictions are in are in place
2: can you give me an example of from your own work history where a stakeholder has affected the the project
1: yeah so recently i worked on the refurbishment of a commercial lobby for a big corporate company and um, the client had some really great ideas about, um, they wanted to incorporate a reception desk into into the space um, and they had some really great ideas about how they wanted the reception desk to look. And I mean, it was a beautiful reception desk that they were referencing, but it wouldn't have been appropriate for anybody that was in a wheelchair in that situation we had to basically get a DDA consultant on board. So that's a disability consultant. And they sort of could advise us how to configure the desk so that it was appropriate for anybody in a wheelchair to use as well.
2: This is often termed accessibility, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. The term accessibility normally refers to disability accessibility in buildings but basically it's just about making um spaces accessible to everybody so that's could be you know mums with prams people's in wheelchairs you know not just the majority of the population thinking about minorities as well
2: and how far do you have to extend this do you i mean you need to include this with people with sight impairments
1: yeah yeah so it de- it depends on the project so if it's a public space you need to consider the entire public whereas if it's say a small residential project you you don't normally have to consider you know somebody in a wheelchair unless your client has specifically got friends, or um, you know, someone's going to be living within the house that has those requirements. But if it's a if it's a public building, then you have to you have to treat it so that anybody within the general public could come in and comfortably access that building and sort of use its facilities efficiently.
2: Now, is there a standard for for this kind of thing?
1: Yeah, yeah, those sort of things are found in the Australian standards and often you will actually get a consultant like if it's a larger public project um, you'll often engage a consultant who can specifically help you navigate those accessibility issues but the Australian standards is also full of um, really great recommendations for making spaces accessible for everybody.
2: How do you get your head around all this? Is it just Experience or?
1: I think it's probably experience and also uh, working with consultants. So sometimes the Australian standards is a little bit blurry. So the Australian standards um, is sort of more treated as recommendations. You don't absolutely have to do everything that's recommended in the Australian standards. It's kind of like sometimes you can implement what you want um, depending on you know, how far your client wants to take things. So I find that consultants are always really helpful as well just to help you sort of navigate, yeah, if you really need to take everything in the Australian Standards into considerations or if there's sort of little bits and pieces that maybe aren't so relevant for your particular building site.
2: When would you decide that you need to get a a consultant in?
1: It's normally something... I mean, you would normally use a consultant for a public or a, or a commercial space, not not so much for a, a smaller residential project unless it was like an aged care project or there was somebody, you know, going to be a tenant that um, had some sort of impairment. Often it's not actually the interior decorator or interior designer's role to engage that consultant. There'll be, you know, a project manager who's project managing or, you know, the designer, the architect and all the tradespeople and the project manager is the person that will engage that consultant for you to to work with and refer to.
2: Often when I hear accessibility kind of thrown around, it's it's quite often paired with livability.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What is that? When I think of livability when it comes to interior design, I kind of link it to, you know, when you think of a livable city, it's I think of spaces where ease of living is prioritized in australia or in victoria specifically the state has some guidelines around livable apartments that were brought in in 2017 victorian government's planning website i think it's called the better apartments guide and that is basically a guide to creating livable apartments so it just has guidelines for like, you know, the minimum size of bathrooms and um, sort of minimum hallway clearances and um, lots of really useful stuff just to make sure your spaces are sort of an adequate size and not too small and, you know, you're not going to have doors opening into pokey little spaces or into other doors. But, yeah, I sort of, I think livable spaces, they have all of the basic components to living so you know obviously there's plumbing and hot water and you know cooking facilities and then it's like they have there's another layer of good design that just makes living in those spaces very easy so lots of storage um you know enough clearance around things to very easily navigate around spaces and rooms without tripping over anything or opening a door into a pokey area it's just easy living.
2: These measurements and kind of numbers are they absolute or are they there to be interpreted?
1: No, they're not absolute. So the Better Apartment Design Guidelines are they're they're kind of like the Australian standards. So they're they're recommendations for designers, but they're they're not absolute. I mean, if you were going to design anything that's not within their recommendations, um, probably be frowned upon, unless there was good good reason for doing so.
2: So when you say frowned upon, do you mean against the law?
1: No, not against the law. But it's just, if you were designing an apartment building and for example, like the bedrooms or the, the bathrooms were sort of smaller than the recommendations, you know, when you're submitting your town planning application, the town planners would potentially question, question those sizes. Maybe, you know, you've implemented you know really clever planning so that the sizes you know work as long as you can demonstrate that those spaces will still function really well for the end user you could still get your planning permit through but you yeah you just would have to show good reason or show that the spaces are still you know you've built really clever storage solutions in so the spaces still function efficiently
2: this module is obviously all about decoration and styling so what sort of considerations does the stylist need to take if they're not kind of planning to get any planning permits
1: so you're you are correct decorators and stylists often are not working within the restraints of a planning permit but i mean they can still strive to make spaces livable through um sort of like furniture placement so it's things like making sure in a hallway um, if you're planning to put sort of hall tables and that kind of thing in you've still got adequate clearance um, to you know clearly make your way through the hallway without obstructing anything and sort of just you know placing things in a room sensibly so that there's enough clearance to get around sofas and tables and beds without tripping over things or you know kind of you know placing the bed far enough from the wardrobe so that you're not kind of opening the wardrobe door you know back into yourself as you back into the bed and also in your colour colour selections you know if you had a vision impaired client you'd need to make considerations like you'd need to make sure that you had adequate sort of colour contrast between doors and walls and things so that they could still easily navigate the space with their their vision impairment. So, yeah, there's still things that decorators and stylists need to consider to make spaces.
2: Building your awareness of all the different types of users that may be using the space and then, which is then, I guess, making you a better designer because if it works for everyone, then... It's going to be a better experience for everyone
1: yeah and i think it's about understanding which part which projects that's appropriate for as well because i mean if you're just doing a residential project um, for a family um, who don't have any sort of special requirements then i mean you don't need to you know really get too stressed about you know the colors of the walls and contrasting with doors and that kind of thing like if there's no vision impairment in a residential project that's not something you need to worry about at all it's more kind of in the public realm or if there's a specific special requirement in a residence
2: that's brilliant and that feels like a good place to leave it so being aware of who the stakeholders are working out what sort of priority they have within the project and then really looking at the guidelines um, for livability and accessibility and making sure that firstly, whether you need to incorporate them and then secondly, how you incorporate them.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there we go. Interior design can certainly be a team sport when it comes to stakeholders. Not so different from any other of the creative industries. As Nikki said, it's all about relationships. Consistency is important, but being adaptable is equally so. See you next time and thank you so much for listening. Some Context Please is produced by Foundry and executive produced by me, Adam Greave. If you want to get in touch with Matt, you can find him on Twitter at Leachworth or through the Australian Design Radio podcast. Foundry is an Australian creative school designed to bridge the gap between education and industry. We work with top creative leaders from all creative disciplines to design courses that help you find your passion and turn it into your career. To find out more about Foundry's current courses and upcoming intakes, visit foundry.com.au.